And then the third ask is more of a challenge, right? To whoever is listening, which is whatever you believe is impossible, remember that impossible is an illusion of your comfort zone. Yeah. I'm a kid from Zimbabwe. I came to America with $40 in my pocket. That's all I had. What I've been able to achieve so far, if you had told me the day I landed at Miami International Airport with $40 in my pocket, I would have told you that it's impossible. Yeah. Because my comfort zone at the time would not allow me to dream that far or to dream that big. So my ask to the listeners is to dream big. All of the things that you've seen, all these amazing accomplishments, they were once a dream in someone's imagination. And there were probably other people who had bigger dreams than that, but because they were scared or they allowed themselves to stay in their comfort zone, their dreams never came true. So the only way we can really fully maximize our potential and shine the brightest is I can only give my gifts to the world and the, the way I can fully give those gifts is by dreaming big and just executing towards those dreams and, and, and making it happen. Hello dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of Want Money, Got Money. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. My today's guest is Kuda Biza. He was born in Zimbabwe and went to United States with just $40 in his pocket. Today, he is a founder of a profitable social enterprise as well as he works for an extremely successful venture capital firm in New York City. In this episode, he shares why you should seek fulfillment first, what limits founders and entrepreneurs, what makes his venture capital firm different to others, and what is the warrior mentality and how it can help you. Before we get into it, I have another announcement. I have just started an Instagram where I would be putting all these notes and putting more info on all the guests and how you can connect with the guests on my podcast and how you can connect with me. So just go to Instagram and search want money, got money, and you would find it. Having said all that, without any further ado, let's get into it. So Kura, welcome to the show. It is so good to have you here and would love to know a bit more about your journey and how you got started and what you are doing these days. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It, it is quite a pleasure, especially being here in New York City and you guys are like 14, 15 hours ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. So a little bit about my journey and how I ended up to be in New York City. I grew up in Zimbabwe. Uh, I was born in Africa, born and bred in Harare, Zimbabwe. And I always had this dream of coming to America. So after high school, I, I worked super hard in order to get here. But before even I get to my journey of coming to America, I think there was a defining event when I was nine years old that pretty much determined my path going forward. And it was one day during the summer, I went to my mom and I wanted to buy an ice cream. It was so hot and I just needed something to cool me down. And I went over and asked for, for the money. I'm the only son out of five children, so I have four sisters. So usually my mom would always give me special treatments since I was the only son. 
And that day she said no. And it was like the first time I remember, oh my God, she said no. And it put me out, outside of my comfort zone a little bit. Yes. And I started questioning to say, okay, how could one person have so much power over what happens in my life, right? She yes. basically just said no ice cream uh, for you today. And literally, I'm not having any ice cream. So I wanted to take more control of my ice cream destiny. So I thought to myself, what can I do to make my ice cream dreams come true? And I decided to start a business. And yeah. I was just walking around my yard and I noticed that my neighbor's windows were looking very dirty. Yeah. So I just grabbed a bucket and my mother's cleaning supplies and I just rushed over to my neighbor's house. And out of the whim, I was like, hey, can I clean your windows? They look pretty dirty. I'll be done in, in an hour or so. And I don't know if it was pity because I was like this nine-year-old pitching or I was a really good salesperson, but she said yes. And then I, I cleaned the windows and that was the day I became an entrepreneur because I realized the power of entrepreneurship. So that's the first business I founded because later that summer, I actually ended up employing two of my friends and they were doing the cleaning and I was doing the sales. So from a very early age, I, I became an entrepreneur. Yep. That is fantastic. And and what are you doing these days? What what are you excited about these days, I should ask you? Yeah, so the entrepreneurship journey continued. When I came to the US, I started a clothing company. Yep. And I was still in university at the time. But I I started this business because I wanted to make a difference. So it was a social mission, social enterprise. Yes. And it's a t-shirt company called AFR Clothing. And the whole yeah. premise was we would donate 20% of our profits to yes. educate uh, children in Africa. Because as I was yeah. growing up in Zimbabwe, I had seen that there were a lot of children my age who were not going to school because yes. public education, believe it or not, in lots of countries in, developing, in the developing yeah. world, it's, it's not free. So like in Zimbabwe, yeah. for example... Unlike, let's say, in the U.S. where public education is free and things like that, you have to pay. So if you're living on an income which is about $2 per day and you have four kids, you won't be able to, to, to send all of your kids to school. So some of them will grow up without an education. So having been blessed enough to have parents that were able to, to take me through my public education, like for my primary school, and I always wanted to make a difference, so I started AFR Clothing. And... We built it to a point where we educated more than 100 students in Zimbabwe, South Africa, Tanzania, and Ghana. And so that was like the business I dabbled with when I was in college. And then when I graduated college, I was fortunate enough to get hired by a fairly large Fortune 500 company. So a big multi-billion dollar entity. And they hired me for a very exciting job. And the job that I was hired for was to be part of a team that our sole responsibility was to create new businesses. So think about it. You're wow. a big, multi-billion dollar company and your job is to come up with ideas and pitch the senior yes. leadership for money. And if they like your idea and they think it has legs, you get the money and you go build your company. So I was like an entrepreneur in a big multi-billion dollar entity. So yes. it has a lot of benefits, right? Meaning that you don't have to worry too much about capital. You have a salary. You You're know. not hustling to just survive day to day. <laughs> to survive. Plus, 
there's a lot of internal experience, knowledge, capability. Yes. So in our case, brands, we have so many brands. In, in Australia, we, we own Sunbeam. So the, yes. the brand Sunbeam was part of this big conglomerate. So we had about 200 brands in, in our portfolio, including Contigo, the, the, what do you call it, the coffee mugs and, and, yes. and things like that. But anyway, long story short, so that was the role I got hired straight out of university to go do. How did you and score that? How did you get that role? It's, did you have connections or did you just apply or what happened? <laughs> so, so what's actually interesting, it's really grace. I actually didn't know that there was a career fair at my school that day. Yes. So, you know, I was just literally walking on campus and I'm like, why are all these people dressed up? What's going on? And I'm in shorts, I'm in a t-shirt and flip-flops. And I just start walking around the career fair and just asking like, hey, what do you guys do? What do you guys do? And then I went to the booth for this company yes. and I just asked some very interesting questions because I'm a curious person. And I was really asking the, the HR representative, like really thought provoking questions, questioning their strategy and, and like demonstrating things that they should be thinking about and, and things like that. So that was like my interview. And I didn't know it was like the, my interview, yes. but I was really impressed by the type of questions that I asked um, yeah. that a couple of days later, she called me and she was like, hey. Can you come into the office and just take a look at what we're doing? Oh, by the way, bring your resume. Because she hadn't, she hadn't even seen my resume. So, yeah. so anyway, I went over there and we had a wonderful uh, conversation and I secured the role. Fantastic. Well done. Yep. So that's great. You said it so, so well. Just the current episode in my podcast, it is all about how to ask right questions. And you did that. <laughs> and that has yeah. also along with being in the right place at the right time and your confidence, all that worked together to help you. What happened after that role? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think before we get into what happened after, let me, let me tell you what happened during that role. I, I was able to create a few businesses in that role. A few of them went to market, actually. One was a partnership with Anheuser-Busch, the company that owns Budweiser. Yes. It's a yeah. big, big conglomerate. Yeah. So we created a at-home draft system that we took to yes. market here in the U.S., and then I created a meal delivery business called Crockpot Cuisine. So we own yeah. the Crockpot slow cooker brand at the time. And the thesis came about, so, hey, how come we're not part of the experience when people are actually making the slow cooker meals? So we started uh, concepting like what a meal delivery service would look like. Yes. And it was a project that I was leading. So I was able to take it to market, build it, scale it. And then we ended up having a strategic alliance with uh, another big food company here in the U.S. and grew the business uh, to more than $20 million in annualized revenue in less than three years. So that was a major success Excellent. in our eyes, considering like it went from an idea on a napkin to yes. about $20 million in revenue in a very short period of time, which, by the way, set me up for my new role now. And I yep. didn't know at the time because you can always connect the dots when you're looking back. Yeah. But you can never connect the dots looking forward. Yes. So <clears throat> what happened after that is I once this project was up and running, we brought in a management team to run it because I'm more I'm very energized with starting things and building than really managing like the day to day. So yes. I started building uh, some of our e-commerce capability because at the time Amazon was really starting to take off. Yeah. 
I eventually uh, ended up running uh, a $75 million e-commerce division within that company. And during that time, I then got a very interesting call. I got a call from one of my friends who had actually partnered with me on building the crockpot business. And he said, hey, there's an opportunity happening in Manhattan. Come in, just listen. And if this is something that interests you, let's have a conversation. So I was like, all right, fine. There's nothing wrong with coming in and listening and having a convo. So I went over and he tells me, like, he was like, hey, we're trying to create a mission-based company. And he knew about the mission-based clothing company that I had started when I was in in college. So he knew that as an entrepreneur, uh, one of my core values is having something of purpose. I was like, we're trying to create this mission-based cookie company. And this cookie company was inspired by a group of nuns. And uh, these nuns baking cookies and using the proceeds to feed 400 people at their soup kitchen in San Francisco every single day. You're from the Bay Area. You know how you used to live in the Bay Area. Sorry. Yes. So you know like how expensive uh, the cost of living is in, in San Francisco. Super, and- super expensive. And so many in the downtown, so many people queuing out outside soup kitchens every evening. And that was even a few years ago. So I can just imagine now in this sort of situation, how dire it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so the, these group of nuns were being selfless. Like they were not paying their own rent in order to support the soup kitchen. And they were actually being evicted uh, by the landlord because they were months behind the rent. So some people came in to help them out, so covered their rent and raised some money to get a new property. But as they were helping them, that's when they realized, oh my God, these nuns are selfless. And they basically were like, why don't we put some capital together, find a couple of entrepreneurs who are smart, who know the food space, who know e-commerce and can really launch this food business. But they have a heart to give back. And building mission-based companies is something that's important to them. And that's how they ended up like calling me. So as I'm listening to this, and by the way, at this time, I'm working in this big Fortune 500 company. I'm driving a big business in in e-com. I'd recently just been promoted and things were like rocking. But it was in that moment where I really started asking myself, what's my purpose, right? Yeah. You know, can I just be pursuing success without pursuing fulfillment. And I I really just questioned the direction of my career and I decided to pivot. So I went back and I quit my corporate job and I went back into the whole startup life and building an idea from from scratch and and building it into a company. Ended up creating the business that's now known as Nun Believable, obviously because of the inspiration of the nuns, where we donate a meal for every cookie that we sell. And we partner up with uh, soup kitchens and other nonprofit organizations fighting hunger across the country. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now. And my current role is co-founder and chief marketing officer. So I'm really responsible for really driving brand awareness, building what we're doing from a marketing perspective, driving traffic, conversions, and things like that. Yes. So it's a really exciting opportunity, but it's an opportunity we know makes a difference. And since we launched last year in October, November timeframe, yes. we've donated more than 100,000 meals in less than a year. Um, yep. So we're, we're happy to have made uh, such tremendous impact in a very short period of time. 
Yep. Fantastic. What I will do is I will put the link to nonbelievable.com in the description of wherever this goes so people can find out more about it and support this, especially at over a third of my listeners and viewers are in US. So this is great. Thank you so much for introducing this to us. But yeah, continue. I'll let you continue your story. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable is backed by a, a, a few entities. And one of them is uh, Lob Enterprises, also known as Lob.nyc, because we're based in New yes. York City. And with Lob, what's interesting about our model is that it's a venture collective. So yeah. unlike your traditional VC that then just cuts you a check and then you go figure it out, Lob has a lot of uh, supporting infrastructure, right? They have more than 100 shared service uh, experts who, who work internally to support the 25 plus portfolio companies uh, yeah. within the Lobe, you know, platform. What's interesting is we have a whole array of, of portfolio companies with, within kind of like our network. So from startups like Nonbelievable that are less than a year old, but have quickly grown to multi-million dollar run rates in less than 12 months to companies that are spitting hundred million in, in, in top line revenue, like one of our wine subscription businesses called First Leaf. So there's a lot of tr- tremendous energy and excitement. And the cool thing is now you have this, these subject matter experts that can really come in and as you're building your company and, and help. And what we see is that having that type of structure doesn't guarantee success per se, but it does increase the success rate significantly. Because Fantastic. a lot of people with a lot of experience coming in, helping and, and, and refining some of the, the thought leadership that the founders already bring. And so it helps minimize a lot of the mistakes that you probably could have made. But more importantly, it helps accelerate the process. Because in, in some cases where you'd have to hire an agency, for example, you just work with our internal uh, resources. So for yeah. non-believable, our entire branding and brand yes. personality yes. and all brand identity, it was all created internally. If we had worked with an outside agency, it would have been long. It would have drained a lot of cash. Yes. But we were able to leverage this venture collective infrastructure to really help us accelerate and also get good quality work at, at a very fraction uh, of the cost. So yes. we, what we do and we think this model is, is a winning model when you compare to the betting average for some of the VCs. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, I was going to comment on that. Just looking at the website of Nonbelievable, it looks beautiful. It's just the, the branding is on point. I like how minimalistic it is, but it is. I love the illustrations on the packaging and everything. It's great. Well done. Well done to your team. For yeah, I will pass the message along. Yes, yes. So, yes. Yeah, so now do you work um, full-time with, with Loeb.NYC? Yeah, so I work full-time for Loeb, but yes. um, my focus is unbelievable as a portfolio company. But I also do help with some of our other portfolio companies that can leverage some of my expertise. But most of the time, my focus is on unbelievable because we really want to grow this. We believe that we're fighting a very important cause, which is hunger. In America, more than 40 million people struggle with hunger. They're, in, they're, they're, they're food insecure. Yeah, And when you think about that number, that's more than the population of Canada. Yeah. So there are more people in America suffering from hunger 
than there are people in Canada, which is right next door. Yeah. So yeah. The, the issue is big. And we haven't even talked about countries outside of the U.S. We're just talking about the U.S. alone. Yeah. For us, it's something where we believe as well creating value in our brand, we can also create tremendous impact. And we yes. believe that this business model of having a purpose, for-purpose business entity, so you have for-profit, but you have a purpose that you believe in and you support and you're making a difference in, that is the business model for the future. So yes. all companies, um, if you really want to succeed, and especially looking into the buying habits of the millennials and things like that, yes. it's going to be super important for you to just think beyond just, oh, the product and the service um, and profits you're also going to really need to think about the impact you're making to the world, to the communities around you, to the environment and beyond. Yeah. Excellent point. And I'm sure that a lot of young people and a lot of millennials um, know about this, just even from their own habits and own like how they choose which product to buy over the other one. One question I have that since you do work for a VC and also you work as a non-profit with Nonbelievable and you have done so many other projects that are for social good, what advice do you have for founders who want to, because a lot of the non-profits, they still need some money to survive. What advice do you have for them? How should they do their funding or where should they look for resources? Yes. So just for clarification, Nonbelievable is not a nonprofit. It's a social enterprise. So we are a for-profit business, but we've made yep. the declaration that we're going to use a portion of our profits to make a difference. So it's a for-purpose company. So think about yeah. B Corp and those types of, types of social uh, enterprises. That's how Nonbelievable is structured. I do have a nonprofit that I've uh, founded which is totally separate. So I can use that experience as a lens. However, to answer your question, if, you, if you're running a nonprofit and you're a founder for a nonprofit, there's so many opportunities to innovate. I look at um, a nonprofit like Charity Water as an example yep. and how they've been able to come up with some really innovative ideas to cover their administrative costs. So they had this platform called The Well where people who'd join the well would then donate money and this well of money, so to say, became the funds that would then cover all of their administrative costs, meaning that the donations that are coming from the public and other organizations, 100% of those could then really go into impact because the well was covering the overhead. So... Many ways for you to, to think about this. And there are other nonprofits out there that actually have products and services. Yes. These products and services generate the revenue that they need in order for them to be sustainable. So a good example, since we're talking about cookies and the bakery and, and baked goods space, there's a company called Greystone Bakery here in uh, New York. And it's owned by a nonprofit, right? They, they sell products. They sell brownies. I actually had the pleasure of having them when I was flying on Delta and they've been able to really scale uh, their sales and they're run by a nonprofit. So there are creative ways as a nonprofit where you can generate, a, where you can generate uh, income for, for your business, sorry, for your mission 
without having to always rely on donation. So I think it's a mindset shift, right? Yeah. Where nonprofit, you need to think about what problems can we solve? And as we're solving these problems, can we generate value yes. and use that value to cover the cost, but more importantly, support your mission? So I think yeah. that's the lens yeah. you need to, to think about as a nonprofit in this kind of like day and age. Yeah, excellent, excellent advice. And since you have worked in starting new projects and you have worked with founders and even your VC firm has over 25, I think, portfolio companies, you would have had firsthand experience of meeting other founders. What do you think in successful founders compared to founders that seem to struggle a lot more? Yeah, so one of the things we do when yes. we're investing, and it's really Michael and Michael Loeb and Rich Vogel, who are yes. the principals of Loeb NYC, is their mentality is betting on the jockey versus the horse. Yeah. What does that mean? You bet on the founders. You want to learn about their story, what they've done before, how yes. they've handled failure, and things like that. And yes, it's important to have a really good idea. Yes, it's important to have an idea that is a huge total addressable market and your unit economics for your business need to be. But at the end of the day, the entrepreneur, their mindset, who they are, their, you know, like some of the things that they bring to the table is, is important because yeah. you might have the best idea in the world, the, the unlimited funding. But if you don't have the characteristics that make uh, a, an entrepreneur, it's yes. going to be hard for you to, to succeed. So Very the question good. now becomes, what are those characteristics that make yes. a really good entrepreneur? So yeah. one thing I think is super important is mindset, right? Yep. Just, it's not easy being uh, an entrepreneur. And our brain is wired most for survival. Yeah. than for thriving. So yeah. whenever you are doing things that are groundbreaking or you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, your brain will always try to bring you back to your comfort zone because, again, it's wired for survival. When you are getting outside and beyond um, what's comfortable, yes. uh, there's, there's this natural tendency to, to doubt or whatever. Yes. So you just need to have that warrior mindset. To say, hey, this is what we're going to go do and we're going to do it. You have to be decisive, right? Yes. Some people take too long analysis, paralysis, and trying to analyze yes. things. The, the quicker you make a decision, the quicker if it's right or wrong. Yep. So it's important, yes, to take calculated risks and, and really think through what you're doing. But there, there are some situations where the only way you will find out if it's right or wrong is if you try something. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, but just go out and do it. And yeah. Yeah. So that's an, another element as well. And obviously track record. What have you yes. done before? Have you started this? Or is this your first gig and so forth? So there are a lot of those um, uh, qualities that we look at. And yeah. it has to be like a full picture because sometimes you might over-index in certain areas. And so you just need to just look at the full picture and, and balance it out. And then more importantly, the team. How have you assembled the founding team? Who are some of the people who are involved? the advisors and things like that. Because at the end of the day, I think nobody was born a CEO. We all have to learn. When he was at Harvard building Facebook, 
no one knew that this was going to be this big conglomerate, but he yeah. had to rely on people like Steve Jobs, who were his mentor when Facebook really started blowing up. So yeah. I think those are some of the, the, the elements that we look at, and it's really like a full picture versus to say, hey, if you don't have one or two of these elements, you're done. Yes, there might be some deal breakers here and there, but it's really looking into the full, full picture and see like how many of those boxes do you tick? Absolutely. Very good advice. Before we go, I have three quick fire questions. And one is, what is the book that you're reading right now? That's a very interesting question. Believe it or not, the book that I'm reading right now is this one. It's called The Spear Method. And guess who wrote it? I wrote it. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. So this book went live about a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's it's super exciting to actually hold it and and, and read it and, and see it. So I'm reading The Spear Method. And its title is The Spear Method, Five Simple Steps to Balance Success and Fulfillment. And as an entrepreneur, we are always tempted to be always chasing success. But you also find that there are miserable billionaires out there. What's important is you want to chase success and fulfillment. So you just want to make sure that whatever you are doing ultimately gives you both. And in the book, I have a framework that, that I really go through to help entrepreneurs, you know, or anybody really, how they can really go on a path where they can pursue both success and fulfillment. Fantastic. Second one, if you had unlimited time, resources and money, what would you build or what would you work on? If I had unlimited uh, time, money and what was the third thing? Resources, whatever resources. Resources. I'm really passionate about two things. And if you look into the businesses that I've built, I've really focused on solving education yes. and hunger. Yeah. So if I had unlimited time and resources, I would make sure that there's no hungry person in the world ever, number Amazing. one. Yes. And everybody has access to education because the great Nelson Mandela once said, education is the only weapon that you can use to change a life. Imagine if Nelson Mandela had not gotten an education and became a lawyer, perhaps South Africa would not have been free or even yourself. The knowledge that you have, that you've been able to acquire, look at what it has enabled you to do in in, in your life. So if, if, if I have those unlimited resources, that's what I would do. And um, I'll probably also uh, make sure that I get a box at the Chelsea stadium because I'm a big Chelsea fan. I and read probably that. buy it from Roman Abramovich yes. and the club. So, so that yeah. would probably be the third thing I would third do. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And final question, what is your ask? Are you looking for, I don't know, hires? Um, are you looking for customers for, for any of your projects or anything? Any connections? Anyone listening? What's your ask? Yeah, I have my first ask is that I have three asks. Yes. <laughs> so I'm asking for three asks. So the first ask is for unbelievable. We really want to help end hunger. And yeah. it's a big ask to just think about trying to do it, but we're going to do as much as we can. So if you're in America, we would love for you to go and buy our mm-hmm. cookies. They're delicious. You can read the reviews. And by eating a cookie, you're feeding someone. 
So I just ask you to think about as you're buying gifts, as we're getting into holidays, or if you're buying delicious treats for yourself, consider Unbelievable as an option because you can really join us in our fight. And then if you're really looking into improving yourself, buy the book. It's on Amazon. You can buy it on our website, uh, spearmethod.com. And uh, I hope you can get a lot of value and you can be set on a path uh, for success and fulfillment. And then the third ask is more of a challenge, right? To whoever is listening, which is whatever you believe is impossible, remember that impossible is an illusion of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a kid from Zimbabwe. I came to America with $40 in my pocket. That's all I had. What I've been able to achieve so far, if you had told me the day I landed at Miami International Airport with $40 in my pocket, I would have told you that it's impossible. Yeah. Because my comfort zone at the time would not allow me to dream that far or to dream that big. So my ask to the listeners is to dream big. All of the things that you've seen, all these amazing accomplishments, they were once a dream in someone's imagination. And there were probably other people who had bigger dreams than that, but because they were scared or they allowed themselves to stay in their comfort zone, their dreams never came true. So the only way we can really fully maximize our potential and shine the brightest, because I can only give my gifts to the world. And the, the way I can fully give those gifts is by dreaming big and just executing towards those dreams and, and, and making it happen. So dream big. Remember that the impossible is an illusion of your uh, imagination, uh, sorry, of your comfort zone. So just go out there and, and go for it. Don't be scared. I love that advice. I'm going to make clips out of that and post it on Instagram and everywhere that I can. It is really good. I'm sure a lot of people need to to hear that. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. I'll put all the links down underneath in the description so people can connect and reach out to you and connect with you and follow everything that you said. So thank you once again. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.